0: Let's take our Bibles, turn over to the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 2. We're still dealing with our study there and the dealing with the unsaved world and the world in you, it's called actually, the world in you. So let's go ahead and take a look at that again tonight, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 as we get things started here. Again, we've read the passage week after week, and uh, boy, I'll tell you what, it's a a passage that needs to really settle into our hearts, you know, really uh, be driven home. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We want to thank you once again for the opportunity to open your word and, Father, just to glean from it and ultimately grow from it. I ask, Lord, tonight that you would just uh, move me aside, that you'd allow me to be your mouthpiece, that, Father, you'd stand in my shoes here tonight, and, Father, may you just uh, allow me, Father, to... Proclaim your word with, um, with power and with, Father, just uh, precision, Lord. May what is said truly be what you would have said, Lord. May I not operate in this flesh, but may I operate in the Spirit. Lord, uh, take control of me, and then, Lord, take control of each of us, and may our hearts be in tune with you, and may we hear what you would have us to hear and apply truth to our hearts. May we leave here, Father, encouraged and also instructed. And Father, ultimately inspired to live our life for you even more than we do now, given our, giving ourselves wholeheartedly without exception to you. Lord, we need you tonight. We commit the service into your hands. And we ask, Lord, everything that's said and done, whether it be the message or already the music that has been encouraging to us. And, Father, the fellowship that we have or even the meeting we'll have later on, may it all be to your glory. In Christ's name, amen. So here in the book of 1 John, of course, we read about the world, and it's talking about loving not the world. Well, we said that the world system is comprised of a few things. It's the political system, economic system, the social system, religious system. And it's headed up, of course, by none other than little g God, and that's Satan, none other than Satan himself. We said that there's a course by which the world travels, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. We said that that course leads to destruction, and ultimately, we, as we as believers look at this course, and as we consider the destruction it goes to, we're very grateful that we, the Bible says, have been delivered out of this present evil world. And as a result of that, we are not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and we're to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're not in the world and we say, you know, uh, we may be in the world, but we're not of it in that regard. And again, I like the passage in Galatians 1, 4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. My, it's, if we're not careful, it's easy to get caught up in the evil world that we were saved out of. And so we're talking about this. World, And we're saying, listen, we're not to be conformed to the world. We're to be conformed to the image of his son. We're to be Christ-like in our outlook, Christ-like in our attitude, Christ-like in our actions, in every aspect of our life, Christ-likeness. And so we asked a series of questions, basically, and we've asked this question. We said, uh, well, first of all, we made a statement. You must realize that if you live for Jesus Christ, you're going to encounter opposition from the world. You're just going to, we said. And you're going to be opposed because Jesus Christ was opposed. You're going to be opposed as you live for him and on his behalf. Then we said, we asked the question, what areas will this opposition come from? And we said, well, it'll primarily come from those that are closest to you. Uh, Possibly friends, family, fellow workers, acquaintances. And it's usually those that are closest to you. We said, you'll also... You can expect opposition from the unsaved world in general. Why is that? Well, because the unsaved world and the saved world have never really gotten along that well. Because one's in darkness and the other's in light. Then we said from society in general. And then finally we said, well, the mastermind, of course, behind all of it is Satan himself. And then we asked the question, how can I overcome this opposition then? It's destined to happen. It's going to take place. It's going to come from even those that are closest to me. How do I deal with it? How do I overcome it? I should say, well, you need to respond properly. We said a soft answer and avoid fighting as whenever possible. Please God with your life, have faith in God, love your enemies and help them pray for your enemies and pray with, a, with pure motives. Keep good company. That means associate with people who love God and want to serve him. And we said, immerse yourself in the word of God. We've got to be immersed in the word of God. The Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That faith strengthens us and enables us to keep on going and to do the right thing when we're tempted to do the wrong thing. And boy, when we're being opposed, it's easy to wilt sometimes under the pressure. But we need to stand firm. So tonight we want to touch on this aspect. We want to ask the question, how should the unsaved world view me as a Christian? How should they see me? When they see me at work or at school or possibly even in the context of the family outing, how should they view me? And I think that's important. And it's something that we ought to give consideration to and thought to. And so tonight, we want to address that issue or at least begin to do so. So let's have a word of prayer before we go. I've already prayed once, but I feel like I need to pray again, I'll be honest with you. I've had an unusual day, okay? So I'm going to pray one more time for me. All right? Maybe the last one was for you. I don't know, but I need it. Father, we come to you. I'm asking you to help me now, Lord. Every time we speak against the God of this world, Lord, we are opening ourselves up for attack. And Lord, tonight I'm praying that, Lord, you'd keep all distractions out of this place. And Father, you know my mind has been on so many different things throughout this last couple of weeks. And Lord, I'm asking you now to focus my mind right now. And Lord, may you be glorified in the lives of each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, how should the unsaved world view me as a Christian? Well, first of all, they should know that you love God. They should know that you love God. And again, they should know that you love God not by your lips, not by the words that you say. They should know that you love God by your life. By your life. You know, in the book of James, we're admonished to be doers of the word. Doers of the word and not hearers only. See, our God is a God of action. He's a God of action. God's not one just to speak, although He speaks, and He speaks the universe and the world into existence. I get it. But there's action involved. There's things that are taking place. God is not impressed with our words. God is impressed with our life. Our words should only be that which is outworking of our life, not the other way around. We should be able to say, hey, this is what God's done in my life, and it ought to show in our living and so we are not to simply be a, a person of words, we're to be a person of action. God's not passive, He's active in the world, and He's active in your life. And He desires the same for us. Look if you would in James one twenty-two, James chapter 1, verse 22. Every one of us, probably to some degree or another, struggle with this reality. You know, it's easy to to, to to convince ourselves that, well, we are doers. We're not hearers only. Man, I've got this figured out. My life is solid and, man, every aspect of my life is in vain with God's and is working together with, with the Word of God. But the truth is, as we get alone with the Lord and as we allow the Word of God to just saturate our hearts and our minds, we are confronted with issues and things that need to be addressed in our lives. It is a constant process. We will not be what we're supposed to be till we're in his presence. It's a continual work that's being taken place. And don't go losing your mind right now. Don't somebody go, well, you're talking about work salvation, preacher. No, I'm not talking about work salvation. I'm talking about sanctification. He begun a good work in you, and he'll perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. We've got to understand that there's something God wants for us beyond salvation. It's not enough to simply be saved. God wants us sanctified and He wants us serving Him. And He wants us to be Christ-like in our outlook, and our attitude, in our actions tonight. He says here in this passage, and I love this passage, but sometimes I get convicted by it because, boy, I'll tell you what, it's a tall order. But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. How many times have I lied to myself? Oh, I'm right with God. I'm right with God. But down deep in my heart of hearts, I know there's an area that I'm withholding. Or I know there's something I'm not yielding to God that He's asked for or wants from me. Or there's a sin in my life that has taken root and I'm unwilling to give it up. But I'm right with God. No, I'm simply a hearer then. And I'm deceiving my own self. Boy, isn't it terrible to deceive yourself? Have you ever been there in your life? Uh, we've all been there probably to some degree or another. It's been said that talk is cheap. And throughout history, there have been those who talk a good game, but fail to measure up in their actions. Look, if you would, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. God's always dealt with that when He's dealing with His people. At every juncture, at every, every turn, there's been those who have been very, very astute to sharing with their speech, but they've missed the mark in their heart and attitude. Notice what it says in Matthew 15, 8, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and unearth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Their heart is far from me. Well, I'll tell you what, God wants our hearts. He wants the innermost being to be His, yielded to Him. That's what He wants more than anything. The scriptures teach us that if we are sincere in our love and relationship with Christ, it's going to show. That's scary to think about, isn't it? I mean, if I'm really sincere, my heart is right with God, then there's going to be, there's going to be feet to the, to the words. There's going to be action to the words mean, how ridiculous would it be for a man to tell a family, I love my wife and my children, but I will not get a job and I will not support them. You'd say, that dude's, that dude's full of hot wind, full of hot air. Why? Because he says he loves them, but he won't do anything to show it. Exactly. And may I say tonight that because we're just children of God, because we're saved, doesn't mean that we're demonstrating the love that we claim we have for God. And again, you're here tonight on a Wednesday night. I'm probably preaching, as they say, proverbially, proverbially to the choir. But let's just be honest. We're flesh here tonight. We're human beings. When the world looks at us, the unsaved world looks at us, They should know that we love God. And the way they really know we love God is not by what we say, ultimately. Although, that can pass for a while. It's going to be how we live our lives and how we act. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3 says, But if any man love God, the same is known of him. So, first of all, they should know you love God. Not by your lips, as much as by your life. And how should the unsaved world view me as a Christian? Number two, your lifestyle should separate you from the world. And your behavior should be peculiar in a scriptural way to them. I'm not saying peculiar as in like weird, nutcase, office rocker. That's not the kind of peculiar Look at his hair. Wow. You know one of the great dangers of that peculiar is? It draws attention to you, not him. See, really, there shouldn't be anything we do to draw attention to ourselves. Do You know what? It bothers me a little bit, and I'll be honest with you. This, this uh, selfie age that we live in. That kind of bothers me a little bit. That's called narcissistic. That's called it's about me. Draw attention to me. Look how I look. I'm so beautiful. Some of our cases, it's true. But the problem isn't that. That's not the issue. The issue is we're drawing attention to ourselves in a sense. And God deserves the glory. When's the last time you took a selfie with God? You say, why are you doing that? Because you have to look up to see him. You have to be looking down at the camera instead of going like this. Okay, so you don't get it. I was trying to be funny, but I guess I'm not. All right, you guys are already ready for the business meeting. I can see the scowls on your faces. (laughs) So our lifestyle should separate us. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And again, this is an area, honestly, that has kind of gotten a bad rap today. This idea of separating, this idea of coming apart, being unique and different, being peculiar in a scriptural manner. You don't have to try to be strange to get attention in the Christian life. You just have to believe what the Bible says and live it. You'll stand out. You'll be unique. You'll be quite different. You'll be noticeable even. In a good way, though. And there'll be some that won't appreciate that. And there'll be some that'll be angry or upset about it. There'll be some that'll think you're trying to rub your little goody-two-shoe attitude in their face and make them feel guilty for their wicked, immoral lifestyles. But that isn't the issue at all. If you're truly a Christ-like in your attitude, you love them and you care about them. You're just being honest and true to yourself. I was going into the hospital today and I... I I thought about something. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. I meant to write it down. I didn't get to it, but I think it goes something like this. It's, um, let's see. I don't even want to share it until I figure it out completely. It was so good. And now I can't remember it. And of course I can say that, you know what I mean? Because you'll never hear it probably. But, uh... I, you know what, I, I've got the words, I just can't get them in the right order, and I don't want to ruin it and wreck it. Okay, so anyway, we've we got to be there. Look at Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Chapter 6, verse 14. Again, a familiar passage. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers... For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. How different is the person being described there than the rest of the world? is that amazing? God literally living in us. That's amazing. Notice what he goes on to say, verse 17. Wherefore, as a result of that, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. That first phrase, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? When we see that particular phrase, that unequally yoked together with, it kind of puts us back on the farm. And it puts us in a yoke, plowing the field. And the picture is that of being unequally yoked. So what we have here is that, that when it comes to these spiritual matters he's talking about, it's like there's this yoke and what would happen is oxen would be placed in the yoke. There'd be an oxen here and an oxen here and the two of them would work side by side. They'd work together. They'd be connected to a cart or a wagon or whatever it might be or a plow and they would pull together. They'd work together and they would stride together and they would each pull their own weight. But the picture here is that those that are, those that are Involved in a relationship with the unbeliever. Not just in marriage. I'm talking about in business. I'm talking about in our lifestyle. In our actions. With our friends and other people. When we get involved and we're connected to those that are unbelievers. We are unequally yoked together. And what that does is simply this. It means that in spiritual matters. Basically you're going to be carrying all the weight. You're on your own. you you got to understand that those that are lost don't think spiritual matters are that important. And they are important. They're important to us, but they're not important to them. And you know how the Bible perceives things and notes things and and it describes things isn't important to them. It's important to us. It means something to you and me, but it means nothing to those that are not yielded to it. And so what happens is is this. The idea is that you're going to be yoked with an unbeliever and you're going to find that you're going to be doing all the heavy spiritual lifting. And by the way, if that's the case, then this isn't just talking about being saved right now. I'm going to tell you something. It does say unbelievers, but I'm going to give you a piece of advice right now. Don't get yoked up with somebody that's not faithful in their Christianity. Don't pull that, well, they're saved, uh-huh. how they living, like saved or lost. Go ahead, do yourself a favor and get as far away from that kind of situation as you can, because you'll still be pulling all the weight spiritually. You'll still be handling it on your own. You'll still not be able to share in spiritual matters as you'd like to, and instead you'll be bearing the greater part of the weight in most situations. It's funny how a believer sees life different than an unbeliever. I mean, you, you, you struggle with things. You go to bed at night when you've said something wrong, done something wrong. You've been unethical or maybe you did something that was a little bit shady. And you, it just eats at you and it bothers you until you get it right. Not the unsaved world. Now, some have at least character. And then sadly enough, some have more character than believers. But the fact is, is that as a believer, you ought to be so far Entrenched, so deep entrenched in the Word of God that your life is directed and led by the Word of God. Don't be unequally yoked together. Don't get hooked up. Don't get yoked up with someone that's not of the same faith, the same commitment level, even. I know it's talking about unbelievers here, but I'm gonna tell you, even as a believer, make sure you're in the same commitment level. Hey, ladies and guys, let me tell you something. I wouldn't I wouldn't get involved with a guy if I was if I'm a soul winner, I'm not getting in the guy, with a guy that's not soul winning. I'm not doing it. If I'm a, I if I'm a, I don't care if he says he's a Christian or not. Because one day he's going to tell you, you ain't allowed to go there because I want you at home with me. And you're going to go, but but, 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 but I, I've always gone soul winning. Uh, you ain't taking my kids and you're not going yourself. You're going to be home here and take care of me like a good Christian wife should. And then you're going to go, preacher, he won't let me go soul winning. He won't let me die. And I'll say, really? He never went, did he? You say, you'd be that heartless? I'd probably be a lot nicer than I should be. But I'm going to tell you what, you need to see the red flags. Get it while you can. Figure it out before it's too late. Do what the Bible says. Don't get unequally yoked together. You'll regret it. You'll regret it big time. Notice what he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. When that world looks at us, they should know that we love God by the way we act, the way we live. And you know what? Our lifestyle should be different. It should be unique. It should be peculiar in the eyes of the world in a scriptural way. A scriptural way. In 1 Peter 2.9, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. You know what? You don't have to be act peculiar to be peculiar. He says you already are. Now, we need to live like it in a sense. We ought to live up to the billing, so to speak. But whether you want to be different or not, you're already different. You know, people that are born into the O'Donnell family are already unique and different as far as I'm concerned. Just the way it is. And you say, well, I don't think they're that different. I don't think they're that unique. Well, what about your kids? Are they unique to you? So do they have to be able to win the spelling bee, national spelling bee to be unique and special to you? Do they ultimately have to get a job making eight figures? Six figures? Do they have to perform some kind of feat in order to be special, unique, and peculiar in your eyes? Absolutely not. They're yours. By the way, I'm His. I'm peculiar whether I think I am or not. I'm peculiar whether I act like it or not. The truth is I'm already that. I might as well just start acting like it. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should sh- shew forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? I'm going to hit one last one here real quick. we got just a few minutes. Here it is. They should see you as being open and honest in all matters. We need to be open and honest in all matters. The world should see us open and honest in all matters. 2 Corinthians 8:21. Turn there if you would, please. What a tremendous passage! I'll tell you what: there's a lot of believers who aren't honest. It, that, I'm gonna tell you what: that is a very unappealing characteristic and quality in a life when someone's dishonest. That'll sour the mouth real quick. Go ahead, steal from your employer. Go ahead, take this extra time when you're not really supposed to. Take liberties that you shouldn't. I'm going to tell you what, your testimony shot. Well, everybody else is doing it. I don't care. You're supposed to be peculiar in a good way. And that's the peculiar in a good way. Notice 2 Corinthians 8.21. Providing for thing, for honest things. Not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. That means in the sight of those who are just like you. Men, women, boys and girls. Well, I owe God. You don't owe just God. You owe all of mankind in that regard. To be honest. Because that's what God requires of us. it's what He expects of us. If you really love someone, you're going to be honest with them. Come on, folks. And and here's the big one. Well, I didn't want to tell them the truth. I was trying to spare him some... Heartache and hurt, well, then just don't tell them something, but don't lie to them. Hey, listen, I'm going to tell you we can't lie to people. That'll come back and so, so proverbially bite you. during his time as a rancher, Theodore Roosevelt and one of his cowpunchers lassoed a, a maverick steer. They lit a fire up and they prepared to brand that particular steer. Uh, part of the range that they, the part of the range that they were on, was claimed by a fellow by the name of Gregor Lang, one of Roosevelt's neighbors. According to the cattleman's rule, the steer therefore belonged to Lang because it was on his property. And as his cowboy, Roosevelt, started to apply the brand, Roosevelt said, hey, wait, 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 wait a second. We're, we're actually on Lang's property, aren't we? Yeah. Well, wait, this should be Lang's brand then. but you're putting on my brand. It's all right, boss. Don't worry about it. It's okay, really. No, but you're putting my brand on. That's right. I am doing that, boss. He says, drop that iron right now and get back to the ranch and get out. I don't need you anymore. A man who will steal for me will steal from me. Isn't that good? A man that will steal for me will steal from me, he said. You know what the problem was? That man that was working for him wasn't honest. Wasn't a a man of integrity. Romans chapter 12 verse 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Whatever you do, be honest. Be sincere. Do not lie. Do not find yourself trying to get over. Shading things over. Trying to schmooze it over. Just... Be honest. And here's the thing that will happen ultimately. If you're really going to be an honest person, you know what it will do? It will change what you say and what you do. Because you you won't want to have to keep apologizing. Or facing the consequences of a lie. Or having to say, oh man, this is going to be difficult now. No, you you, you just get it right. Plan on doing things right. It will spare you a lot of heartache in the long run. So the world, real quick, just a real quick recap. The world then... How should they see us? They should know that we love God, not by our lips, but by our life. They should, that our lifestyle should separate us from the world. And our behavior should be peculiar in a very scriptural way, of course. And then as we said already, they should see you as being open and honest in all matters. Now listen, don't think that you're being open and honest because you're open and honest at work only. If you lie to your wife or your husband, you know what you are? I'm not even going to say it. The last time I called a group of people a liar, my wife said, you shouldn't have done that. But I'll tell you this. If you lie, what's that make you? You've got to be careful, folks. Just because it's not somebody out there. Well, my testimony's intact. Well, let's ask your kids. Is it intact? Oh, don't worry about it, son. I'll be there. And we don't show up. And I mean, it's not an emergency. We just don't show up. We just lied to our kids. Honey, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll take care of that. And then we don't take care of it. We just lied to our wife. And I'm just saying, we gotta think about this thing. We gotta understand that we, that, that even our wife, our children deserve us to be honest in every aspect. I know there are circumstances sometimes that are beyond our control. And in those cases that it just drives us crazy because we want to be men and women of our word. And the, I'll be home for Christmas and yet every flight was grounded and there was no way I could get there. That would, I know, I know for every person in this room, that would drive you crazy. i got to believe. I told him I'd be there. I've got to find a way to get up. I think in that case, your wife and your kids might understand if every plane was grounded, there was no way to get back up to where you were living. They'd say, you know, Daddy wanted to be here with all his heart. He would have been here. He said he would. He would have been here. And I think you'll get through that one. But we know what we're really talking about. We've got to be careful with how we, what we say and what we do. Because what we're saying and what we do is exactly what we ought to be saying and doing. And that sounded really weird. But that's the truth. Father, we come to you. Thank you, Father. We love you for all you mean to us and all you do for us. Father, this thing with the world,